0: Welcome to NTD News Today, I'm Chris Beers. Here are today's top stories. Artificial intelligence to filter job applications. New York City employers now must do yearly audits to make sure their AI software doesn't hold any racial or sexual bias. The CDC is under fire for new guidance about breastfeeding, or rather chest feeding by transgender people. Medical professionals warn of overlooked risks. Facebook parent company Meta releases a new app. The microblogging app called Threads is strikingly similar to Twitter, but will it be able to compete? And Iran has officially joined a pact of Eurasian nations led by China and Russia. What does this mean for U.S. national security and the global balance of power? COMPANIES ACROSS THE U.S. USE ARTIFICIAL INTELLIGENCE TO FILTER JOB APPLICATIONS. A NEW YORK CITY LAW TAKING EFFECT THIS WEEK NOW REQUIRES EMPLOYERS TO MAKE SURE THOSE AI SYSTEMS HAVE NO RACIST OR SEXIST BIASES. HERE ARE THE DETAILS.
1: ON WEDNESDAY, LOCAL LAW 144 TOOK EFFECT IN NEW YORK CITY. IT AFFECTS COMPANIES USING ARTIFICIAL INTELLIGENCE SOFTWARE TO FILTER JOB APPLICATIONS. The Big Apple's official website states, under New York City law, anyone who wants to use an automated employment decision tool must do a bias audit first and notify job candidates. Any employer using such an AI tool must pass an audit by a third-party company. That's to ensure the tool is free of racist and sexist bias. The law also states that automated hiring systems may not be used if its most recent bias audit is more than a year old. Employers also have to provide an AI screening disclosure to candidates, which must include instructions for how an individual can request an alternative selection process or a reasonable accommodation. New York City's Department of Consumer and Worker Protection will enforce the new law. Employers violating the law face a fine up to $500 for the first violation and up to $1,500 for each violation after that. The Society for Human Resource Management told Fox News it doesn't support the new law, saying guardrails for AI are necessary. However, we do not support overregulation at the cost of workforce innovation and optimization.
0: The Center for Disease Control and Prevention is accused of ignoring the dangers of transgender people chest-feeding babies. Health experts say there is a lot to be concerned with. The health agency published advice on its website for biological women who have had their breasts removed or biological men who are taking female hormones. Health experts criticized the agency for ignoring the risks of the chemicals used to medically alter a person's body. For example, the CDC makes mention of hormones used to produce breast milk in men, but the FDA warns that one of the drugs can pass through breast milk and give babies an irregular heartbeat. Medical experts told the Daily Mail that there are still many unknown risks when transgender people breastfeed or chestfeed babies. Russian fighter jets were caught harassing American military drones during an operation targeting ISIS in Syria. The Pentagon says it's the second such incident this year. The U.S. Air Force released drone video footage capturing the incident, which highlights the escalating tensions in the Syrian conflict. According to an Air Force commander, three MQ-9 Reaper drones were engaged by three Russian fighter jets, quote, in action that violate established norms and protocols. In March, the Pentagon released video of a collision between a Russian fighter jet and the same type of U.S. drone in international airspace. The drone crashed into the Black Sea. The MQ-9 Reaper drone is primarily deployed for intelligence gathering. It can be armed with up to eight laser-guided missiles, underscoring the risk of these confrontations. Iranian vessels attempted to seize two oil tankers near the Strait of Hormuz. That's according to the U.S. Navy, which says it intercepted both incidents. A U.S. Navy spokesman said the commercial tankers were lawfully crossing international waters and that the Iranian ships were from the country's Navy. During the second attempt, they fired at one of the tankers, but no damage or casualties were reported. Both incidents took place in waters between Iran and Oman. Oil giant Chevron said that one involved the Richmond Voyager, a large crude oil carrier managed by the company. British maritime security company Ambree says it also had a warship in the area at the time and requested the Iranian Navy cease harassing one of the merchant ships. The Iranian regime hasn't commented on the allegations. Speaking of Iran, the country recently joined the rapidly expanding bloc of Eurasian countries led by China. Its membership in the Shanghai Cooperation Organization was cemented on July 4th, To discuss this, I spoke to Bart Marquois, the Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary of Energy for International Affairs during the Bush administration. He also served as a career Foreign Services Officer with the State Department. Bart Marquois, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Bart, Iran just joined an alliance called the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, led by Beijing and Russia. What does that signal? It signals a an, a
2: an attempt to develop an economic block that controls a great deal of the world's resources. About 60% of the world's GDP is, uh, is encompassed within this uh, Shanghai Cooperation Organization or SCO. This is like the common market. They're coming together and they're saying, look, let's have some economic cooperation between our countries, Russia, China, The stands. the four, uh, what is it, Um, uh, uh, the the Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, uh, who am I leaving out, Um, Kyrgyzstan and uh, Tajikistan, those were the original founding members. And now Iran has joined, India and Pakistan have joined, and they are saying, let's do business with one another and give one another preferential economic treatment.
0: And Bart, how much of a concern should this be to the United States? It should be a huge concern because one of the main
2: objectives of the SCO is to to reduce reliance in the world economy on the American dollar. And if that happens, our way of life collapses, and people in America have no idea what it means for us that the dollar is the world's reserve currency. What it means is that we can spend like there's no tomorrow. We have these these multi-trillion dollar, 32, 38 trillion dollar deficits, or debt rather, and we can just print the money to pay our debt, and we are inflicting that cost on all the rest of the world, and they're getting tired of it. And so now the SEO is saying, let's make trades, in yuan and rubles. Let's make trades in Indian currency, in Iranian currency. Let's stop using the United States dollar as our currency. And if that happens, then there are suddenly trillions and trillions of dollars sitting out outside the borders of America that nobody wants, and they can't turn them in. And that means that everything we own is suddenly the value of everything we own is suddenly cut by a third, a half, two thirds. And we start looking like Argentina in the 1970s.
0: And how does that translate into national, uh, national security concerns?
2: Well, wars cost money. Defending yourself militarily costs money. There's nothing that costs more money. You can't defend your friends and frighten your enemies if you don't have the money to buy the weapons and to buy the ammunition.
0: So This sounds like a pretty serious growing threat to the United States. What do you think the U.S. should do in response to alliances like this one?
2: The most important thing we should do is produce more energy here at home. Now we're back to the the days where we're dependent on other people. When we do that, we're ceding control of the world oil markets and world energy pricing to Russia and to OPEC. And those countries are driving up the price of oil, and they are bankrupting our economy while strengthening theirs. Next most important thing we could do is strengthen our alliance with India. We. India is the great counterweight to China. China is the big threat behind all of this. And India has over a billion people, just as China has. And they are smart people, capable people, industrious people. And we should be strengthening our alliances with them.
0: Well, Bart McCoy, thank you for your insight on this shifting dynamic here. Thank you. Facebook parent company Meta officially launched its new app called Threads yesterday. The app is meant to rival Twitter. It's billed as a text-based version of Instagram and allows users to bring along followers from the photo-sharing platform. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the new app. Meta says Threads provides a
3: new, separate space for real-time updates and public conversations. The function has been Twitter's core selling point all along. But does the new app pose a threat to Twitter? Instagram has 2 billion users compared to around 250 million uh, of Twitter, so it's about 10 times bigger already. So if, if only one in 10 Instagram users tries using threads, it's overtaken Twitter in the blink of an eye. Andrew Selipak, a social media professor at the University of of Florida, told NTD that the idea of Threads being a Twitter killer is overhyped.
2: We've seen this before with Mastodon, with Blue Sky, with True Social, with Parler. Everything's supposed to be a Twitter killer. Now, the difference is that those companies didn't have the financials that Meta does. But at the end of the day, you're still asking people to kind of make a huge switch, to go from the thing they're comfortable with to something completely new. And with the rare exception of TikTok, that often doesn't happen.
3: The app went live Wednesday in Apple and Google Android app stores in over 100 countries. Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg says the app passed 5 million signups in the first four hours. Early celebrity users include chef Gordon Ramsay and pop star Shakira. The company says its vision for the app is for it to be more focused on text and dialogue, modeled after what Instagram has done for photo and video. Posts are limited to 500 characters and can include links, photos and videos up to five minutes long. There are buttons to like, repost, reply to, or quote a thread, along with counters that show the number of likes and replies a post has. Instagram users can log in with their existing usernames and follow the same accounts on the new app. New users have to set up an Instagram account. But Meta's new offering is raising data privacy concerns. According to its data privacy disclosure on the App Store, Threads collects a wide range of personal information, including health, financial, contacts, browsing and search history, location data, purchases, and sensitive info. Jeremy
0: Sandberg, NTD News. Coming up, ice cream maker Ben & Jerry's surprised many with its Fourth of July message. It said the U.S. was founded on stolen indigenous land and that it's time to return it, it prompting a quick response. And pro-Trump lawyer Lynn Wood announced his retirement. It allows him to avoid further legal action against him. More in just a moment, here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. Ice cream maker Ben & Jerry's is facing calls for a Bud Light-style boycott. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on the significant social media backlash to the company's July 4th comments that the US exists on stolen land that should be returned.
4: The company wrote on Twitter, Ah, the 4th of July, who doesn't love a good parade, some tasty barbecue, and a stirring fireworks display? The only problem with all that though is that it can distract from an essential truth about this nation's birth. The US was founded on stolen indigenous land. The Post continued to say, this year, let's commit to returning it. Here's why we need to start with Mount Rushmore. The company wrote that the land on which Mount Rushmore sits was seen as sacred to the Native American tribes adding that the government broke its treaties with the Lakota and other tribes in the mid-19th century. The series of posts drew an immediate and sharp backlash from users. Country singer-songwriter John Rich wrote in response that Ben & Jerry's should give all their stores to the Native American tribes that originally owned those zip codes. Jenna Ellis, a former attorney to Donald Trump, wrote on Twitter, When is Ben & Jerry's giving up their land? Psychologist and academic Jordan Peterson wrote, Looks like someone is looking hard for a Budweiser moment. And Babylon Bee writer Ashley St. Clair also mocked the company on Twitter saying, You stole the milk from cows to make your ice cream. chickmate. The Washington Examiner called on Americans to try and turn the tide against the company, adding that Ben & Jerry's would never actually give back the land its corporate office sits on and will just put pressure on others to give up their land. Ben & Jerry's is owned by Unilever. A table of the top 10 owners of Unilever shows BlackRock in second position. BlackRock has been accused of forcing companies to meet ESG targets. In a clip here from 2017, BlackRock CEO Larry Fink discusses how the investment management company puts pressure on companies to change their behavior.
5: You have
3: to force behaviors. And if you don't force behaviors, whether it's gender or race, or just any way you want to say the composition of your team, you're going to be impacted.
4: The top 10 mutual funds holding Unilever PLC show variations of Vanguard and BlackRock in four out of the top five. BlackRock and Vanguard are two of the big three passive fund asset management firms. The third is State Street, and it is owned by BlackRock, whose largest shareholder is Vanguard. NTD reached out to Unilever but didn't hear back by broadcast time. Daniel Monahan, NTD News.
0: National Geographic, the iconic yellow-framed magazine that has chronicled the natural world for more than 100 years, has laid off its last staff writers. Layoffs were first announced in April as part of a wave of cuts by parent company Disney former staffer said most National Geographic staffers were told their positions would be eliminated in two months. And multiple departing staffers said the last remaining staff writers were let go this week. It was unclear how many staffers were cut. National Geographic had more than 1.7 million subscribers at the end of 2022. A magazine spokesperson said in a statement it will continue to publish monthly issues. A former staffer says most reporting will be done by freelance writers. Former GOP Congressman Denver Riggleman is assisting the legal team advising President Biden's son Hunter. Riggleman is helping Hunter Biden's attorneys as they grapple with increasing scrutiny from House Republicans over his business dealings. Hunter Biden's attorneys recently pushed back against IRS whistleblowers. They testified to Congress that the president's son received preferential treatment from the Justice Department. The president's son is slated to plead guilty in federal court later this month, admitting to two tax misdemeanors. Hunter Biden can also avoid prosecution on a felony gun charge if he follows court-imposed rules for a set period of time. Riggleman previously served as a senior technical advisor for the House Select Committee that investigated this January 6th breach at the U.S. Capitol. Attorney Lynn Wood announced that he's agreed to retire from practicing law rather than be disbarred by the state of Georgia. Wood made headlines in 2020 for his claims about the election. In a post on Telegram this week, Wood described the bar's actions as lawfare. He said the State Bar of Georgia agreed to drop disciplinary cases against him in return for his retirement. He says he wanted to retire, but not in this manner or at this time. Wood became well known following the 2020 election, echoing claims made by former President Trump that the election was stolen. At one point, he alleged that Georgia Governor Brian Kemp accepted bribes to throw the election in favor of President Biden. Wood faced a slew of lawsuits and legal threats, the Georgia Bar held a disciplinary hearing for Mr. Wood several weeks ago to consider disbarring him. Wood is one of several lawyers who were either retained or by Trump or prom- promoted by Trump and faced disbarment after the 2020 election. Two firefighters were killed battling a blaze that began when cars caught fire deep inside a cargo ship. The multi-level ship at a New Jersey port was carrying 5,000 cars. Firefighters found five to seven vehicles already on fire when they reached the tenth floor of the cargo ship. The blaze quickly extended to the eleventh and twelfth floors as firefighters were pushed back by the intense heat. Two of them could not be found. Outside, rescue companies from and around the state were called in. Their bodies were eventually located and removed from the structure. Newark Mayor Raz Baraka spoke from the scene. He said the saw unparalleled acts of bravery and camaraderie, but he called the loss traumatic for all of Newark. The fire was still burning while officials spoke at the news conference. Fire Chief Rufus Jackson said shipboard firefighting is a unique skill Newark firefighters don't commonly face this kind of fire. Two New York City police officers raced against time to save an ill man who fell onto the subway tracks in Brooklyn. The daring rescue was caught on body cam. Footage shows two officers climbing onto the tracks. They managed to lift an unmoving man back onto the platform. The police department said on Facebook the man fell onto the tracks suffering a medical episode. The two officers involved in the rescue were Officers Baez and Hall, from the NYPD's 81st precinct. Here's an example of a police officer going above and beyond the call of duty. Check out this officer's body camera footage from Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin. Before sunrise on June 25th, he noticed black smoke and flames coming from afar, the officer ran to check it out and saw that the fire was coming from a barn and some cows were trapped in the pen near the blaze. Sirens can be heard in the distance, but the officer decided there wasn't time to wait. He quickly moved in and unchained the gates to free the cows. Thankfully they, were all, they all made it out safely. Just walking along a roadway has apparently gotten a lot more dangerous in the last decade. The Governor's Highway Safety Association released a study that found American drivers killed at least 7,500 pedestrians in 2022. That's the most deaths of any year since 1981. On top of that, pedestrian deaths rose 77% between 2010 and 2021. This comes after decades of seeing a decline in the number of pedestrians killed by drivers. Experts blame the rise in deaths on faster driving speeds as well as the lack of sidewalks and other pedestrian-friendly infrastructure on many roads across the country. They also point to the shift in popularity for increasingly heavier and high-riding trucks and SUVs. If finding one penny brings good luck, imagine running into this. Michigan State Police say a Loomis armored truck spilled hundreds of coins. In a minor traffic accident alongside a lansing area expressway wednesday they say the driver couldn't stop in time when traffic was backed up causing the truck to clip another vehicle and roll into a ditch the truck occupants have minor injuries the people in the other vehicle are unhurt canadian police have identified a woman known as the nation river lady nearly five decades after she went missing jewel langford was 48 years old at the time of her death she became known as the Nation River Lady after the river in eastern Ontario where her remains were found. Authorities say she had traveled to Montreal in April 1975 but never returned home. Her family in Tennessee reported her missing. According to a nonprofit that worked to identify John and Jane Doe's, Langford had been bound and strangled with a television cable. In late 2019, a new ND DNA profile helped identify Langford and a suspect after it matched samples collected from two people listed in a family DNA tree. That's when officials arrested 81 year old Rodney Nichols, who was living in Hollywood, Florida, and charged him with Langford's murder. In March of 2022, Langford's remains were repatriated to the United States, followed by a memorial service and burial. Tragedy in Mexico after a bus crashed into a ravine in Wednesday morning, killing at least 29 people and injuring another 19. The crash occurred in the early morning and the driver is believed to have lost control of the vehicle while traveling from Mexico City through a southern state. Officials said some were 14 people hospitalized in a nearby town while five others were airlifted to the state capital. Interstate bus accidents are regular occurrences in Mexico. In April, 18 people were killed and dozens were injured when a bus fell off a cliff in western Mexico. Up next, a group of Uyghurs gathered outside the White House commemorating the 14th anniversary of a major crackdown against the minority group in the Xinjiang region. Find out more when we return and a water shortage in Cuba, it's leaving Havana residents short-tempered in the heat, summer heat. Low estimates say 100,000 are impacted. More in just a moment when we return on NTD News Today. Welcome back. 14 years ago, outrage broke out in Xinjiang, China. 14 years later, a group of Uyghurs gathered outside the White House to commemorate this historic incident. NTD's Sam Wong brings us more from Washington, D.C.
6: We're here outside the White House where dozens of Uyghurs gathered to commemorate the 14th anniversary of a major crackdown against a minority group in the Xinjiang region. Activists on the scene are calling out nations across the globe to help end China's persecution against Uyghurs. Here's a look. The group doesn't recognize Xinjiang as part of China's territory but instead they call it East Turkestan, which they claim as an independent state. The event traces back to 2005, when outrage swept across Xinjiang's capital city of Urumqi. It all started off from a rumor suggesting that a Han woman was raped by Uyghur men. But word of mouth soon escalated into ethnic conflict. Several Han Chinese retaliated by attacking Uyghur workers. Two were beaten to death as a result of it. The incident sparked peaceful protests in the region, but it soon turned deadly. On July 5th, a widespread outrage set off in Urumqi. Chinese authorities quickly got involved and locked down the region. Thousands of Uyghurs, mostly young men, mysteriously disappeared from Xinjiang. China's state run media said the Han Chinese make up the majority of the death toll, but Uyghur activists said otherwise. The woman speaking is the president of the East Turkestan Youth Congress. She was working in a hospital during the Uyghur protests in Urumqi. When panic loomed over the city, she said she witnessed severely injured protesters being rejected for treatment by authorities.
5: And then I saw there's the military and the police was uh, surrounding them. And then somebody was saying, these people are not be safe. This is the oral, oral order. And we rushed towards them, but we stopped by the Ch- Chinese military.
6: Chinese officials describe the territory as an autonomous region, That's despite the regime's efforts to step up restrictions in recent years. A surveillance network is visible everywhere, with cameras capable of detecting license plates and individual faces. Human rights groups believe that China has locked up more than a million Uyghurs in Xinjiang. Among them, many were sent to re-education camps, and hundreds of thousands were sentenced to prison. Activists often say that this is an effort to eradicate the Uyghur culture,
7: I know that the Uyghur population is also majority Islam, so it's not only ethnic cleansing, but in this case it's ethnic cleansing and also um, religious discrimination by um, a a nation-state.
6: Nations such as the U.S., U.K., and Canada have described China's activity in East Turkestan as genocide. The Uyghur group outside the White House is urging the U.S. to take robust action against China's decades-long suppression. Reporting from Washington, D.C., Sam Wong, NTD News
0: more than 100,000 Havana residents are without water as the heat of the Caribbean summer sets in, raising tensions on the streets of Cuba's capital.
8: These tankers in Havana are being filled with water, now a rare commodity for thousands of residents in the Cuban capital. Between 100,000 and 200,000 people in Havana, or as much as 10% of its population, are without access to it, according to state media. Residents? have an idea why.
5: We've used the same pumping system for so many years. I'm not very knowledgeable about this, but you get to the point where if you don't fix or change anything, years take their toll, like old people that are healthy until they get sick.
8: Local officials say aging infrastructure is a factor. They add climate change-induced drought doesn't help either. It's all making daily life more difficult for people like old Havana resident Anya Batista. We haven't had water for many days, she says. The water issue is bad. Very bad. The water was calm while the communist-run country is going through one of its worst economic crises in decades. Tough U.S. sanctions, floundering tourism, soaring inflation, and short supplies of food, medicine, and fuel are all slamming the island. A top provincial Communist Party official says nearly two dozen new pumps will help with the water shortages, but they won't arrive for weeks. Meanwhile, the local government is also asking people to save energy, with demand outpacing its forecasts. Blackouts are a thorny subject in Cuba. They, in part, fed into anger that sparked anti-government protests across the island. Including demonstrations in July 2021, believed to be the largest since former leader Fidel Castro's 1959 revolution.
0: And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. When we return, the president of Belarus comments on the whereabouts of the leader of Russia's mercenary Wagner Group. He's no longer in Belarus. And Germany arrests seven suspects in connection with planned Islamic terror attacks. More shortly here on NTD News Today. Thank you for staying with us. Russian mercenary leader Yevgeny Prigozhin is no longer in Belarus. Here's Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko, who last month brokered a deal to end the armed mutiny in Russia, confirming the news. Uh,
1: and After Bakhmut, artomovsk they were brought back to their camps, and they are currently there today. Regarding Yevgeny Vasilevich Prigozhin, or Viktorovich, right? He's in St. Petersburg. Where is he this morning? He might have left for Moscow or for somewhere else but he's not on Belarusian territory.
0: Lukashenko said on June 27th that Wagner Group leader Prigozhin arrived in Belarus as part of the deal that diffused the crisis three days earlier. His fighters had briefly captured a southern Russian city and marched toward Moscow. Lukashenko also said the question of Wagner units relocating to Belarus hasn't been resolved and would depend on decisions by Russia and Wagner. His comments highlight the huge uncertainties surrounding the deal that ended the mutiny. Russian President Vladimir Putin has said the events could have plunged the country into civil war. The destruction of a dam in the south of Ukraine triggered widespread flooding, which has battered Ukraine's farmlands and wildlife. As waters begin to recede, experts are assessing the fallout from the disaster. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on the catastrophic results.
7: The destruction of the Kakovka Dam has affected drinking water, food supplies, and ecosystems reaching into the Black Sea. Ukraine's Agriculture Ministry estimates 24,000 acres of farmland are underwater in Kherson.
1: The biggest blow was inflicted on the production of soybeans and corn. We are used to considering the Kherson region as a region of vegetables, but first of all, the Kherson region ensured Ukraine's export potential for soybeans and corn.
7: Ukraine's affordable supplies of wheat, barley and sunflower oil are critical for much of the world. Russia's invasion has made these products more expensive. We
1: must understand that the most important problem for our country, for our economy, and for our agriculture is precisely the occupation of the southern lands by Russia. This is the problem. It was the occupation of our vegetable growing regions that led to a sharp reduction in vegetable production and such unrealistically high vegetable prices.
7: The reservoir is the end of hundreds of miles of river that pass through Ukraine's industrial and agricultural heartlands. Ukrainian authorities are testing the level of toxins in the mud. When we talk about pollution, we mean
1: the following things. The first is chemical pollution. First of all, these are heavy metals and petroleum products. The second is biological pollution. This is all that sewage, leftovers from sewage, cesspools, toilets, factories where livestock and poultry were raised.
7: There are also fears that fish and waterfowl will lose the majority of their spawning and feeding grounds.
1: In particular, the northern part of the Black Sea is the main spawning ground, where the main part of the Black Sea fish population reproduces. They come to spawn right here, to the north, to the territorial waters of Ukraine. And so it has always been. This particular area is now essentially destroyed.
7: The extent of the damage is still unclear and may continue to be until the conflict is over. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Germany
0: has foiled a possible Islamic terrorist attack. The country's interior minister says seven people were arrested during the operation. The arrests took place in western Germany. Suspects allegedly entered the country from Ukraine shortly after the war began in 2022. Prosecutors say they formed a terrorist organization last June. Their aim was to carry out high-profile attacks resembling those of ISIS. The group tried to procure weapons while considering their targets in Germany, but they were detained without forming plans for an attack. They are also suspected of raising funds for ISIS. Big tech firms are getting in line with a new EU regulation. The Digital Markets Act aims to end unfair practices by companies labeled as gatekeepers. Seven tech firms have acknowledged that they meet the criteria. Those include Amazon, Apple, TikTok, Microsoft, and Samsung. EU authorities will confirm their statuses by September 6th. The Gatekeeper Act took effect last November. Companies on the list must have an annual turnover of $82 billion, plus over 45 million monthly users on social media platforms. Under the new rules, the gatekeepers would allow their messaging apps to interoperate with third-party competitors. They should also allow users to decide which apps to pre-install on their devices. Some companies, however, argue that the law may create privacy and security loopholes. When we come back, Poland has scrapped bus number 666 to the seaside resort of Hell. Critics said the number had connotations that were religiously offensive. And in Barcelona, officials are working to preserve the country's vintage elevators. Stay tuned for more on that when we return. Welcome back. Poland has cancelled bus number 666 that was formerly bound for the famous seaside resort known as HELL. The change comes amid complaints of religious offence.
1: Sea-surrounded HELL Peninsula is one of the most visited parts of Poland, but vacationers find the familiar bus numbered 666 is no longer in service. Over time, as the route became more popular and we had more bus services, we started getting more objections and petitions from private persons, but also from different associations requesting to change the bus number. Religious people complained that the three sixes are offensive, as it refers to the number of the beast associated with Satan, though tourists see it as a harmless joke.
5: The sixes are associated with hell, and hell is associated with the english word hell so why not have a bus with a number that is connected to the destination in my opinion it doesn't offend any religious sensitivity of the average Pole.
1: the bus company said it had been receiving complaints from individuals and christian groups for almost 10 years substitute summer bus 669 began operation last month
0: ancient elevators make up a key part of barcelona's rich heritage Now city officials are cataloging them for better preservation. Let's take a look.
1: In the heart of Barcelona stands La Padrera House, the masterpiece of Catalan architect Antoni Gaudi. It's home to one of the first electric elevators in town, which includes a velvet cushioned seat. A spokesperson said the cataloging process is a great idea to save the city's cultural legacy.
7: We
5: feel great collaborating, because for us, the preservation of historical elements is one of the goals of La Pedrera Foundation. So we will be there whenever they ask us to collaborate.
1: So far, more than 400 historic elevators like this one have been found across the country. Most were installed in the first decades of the last century.
4: We started with a sample search of downtown Barcelona, where most of the buildings built in that time are concentrated. That is the first step in the cataloging process. We intend to have a full list by the end of this year.
1: Inside this building on one of Barcelona's main avenues, an elevator from 1902 is still operating. Its engine has been replaced with a faster and more energy efficient one. Legacy elevator brand Otis was in charge of that process. The company's mission was to ensure modern safety standards while carrying out conservation work on the old, visible elements of the elevator.
5: We divide the modernization process into two different areas. First, we have the mechanical part, comparing it to the skeleton of the human body, and then the electric part, which is the brain of the mechanism. Through the modernization, we improve the performance of the elevators as well as the safety, and we improve the installation to make them more energy efficient.
1: Elevator maintenance is no easy task. Building communities must cope with periodic technical malfunctions and costly repairs. But residents say protecting the gem is worth the trouble.
4: All owners of the building invest in the preservation of this lift. Because of its architectural value, it's an elevator made of wood and glass dating back to the early 1900s.
1: It's of the utmost interest for us to have the lift well preserved. Under a proposed new law, once an artifact goes into municipal inventory, Owners would receive subsidies to restore historic elements, including wooden cabins or protective iron grids.
0: An upcoming venue in Las Vegas called Sphere put on a trial run of its optics ahead of its official opening in September. The exterior is covered with over 580,000 square feet of LED lights. It lit up the Las Vegas skyline, changing from the Earth and the Moon to various geometric patterns, as well as a patriotic design. In September, the venue hopes to be the host of numerous attractions from star performances and sports events through to cinematic experiences. It can hold over 17,000 people seated with a further 20,000 standing. The creators say it's the world's largest spherical structure at over 500 feet wide and 350 feet tall. Coming up, a full-time gingerbread maker preps for the holiday season. The growing popularity of Christmas in July also keeps him busy. Details to come on NTD News Today. Welcome back. A former executive chef turned full-time gingerbread maker is already prepping for the holiday season. It may be early, but some are already in the Christmas spirit. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the latest.
7: Christmas comes early for John Lovich. His New York City kitchen smells of sugar and spice. Now it's time to assemble his freshly baked gingerbread into houses.
9: Middle of June, and uh, we're baking gingerbread, we're decorating gingerbread houses. You know, basically uh, what everybody does. They're thinking about the holiday season while it's, you know, the height of summer outside. And it uh, never ends if
7: you make gingerbread houses around the country as a job. Every year, Lovich rolls out over 2,000 gingerbread houses. He mixes up between six and 7,000 pounds of royal icing.
9: I can tell you right now, there's 134 days before I pack up my first van. And uh, so you'll hear from people, friends, uh, business colleagues, things of like that throughout the year, oh, the holidays are a long ways away, and you're like, yeah, they're four and a half months. That, that's going to go like that. It's going to vaporize.
7: It's not an easy job to do in the summer. Heat, flooding, and insects are constant threats.
9: Be here in about 30 days or so. This room is going to be sweltering. And I run four dehumidifiers around the clock down here and take anywhere from 10 to 30 gallons of water every day out of the air, because when it gets humid, the gingerbread falls apart.
7: The growing popularity of Christmas in July is also keeping him busy. This summer, he will be holding several beach-themed gingerbread workshops across the country, on top of preparing his winter shipments.
9: We got about a thousand of these houses standing and we need to stand about a thousand more and the two thousand of them combined will get completely decorated assembled ready and then uh, ready to ship out by veterans day to four locations around the country kansas city philadelphia houston and then of course here in new york city
7: lovich acknowledges that it's challenging to keep the spirit of christmas alive year round but it's also sweet andrew thomas ntd news
0: An Iowa man won the jackpot in more ways than one. Nick Miller recently asked his girlfriend to marry him, and she said yes. But that's not all. A day later, the 31-year-old won nearly $400,000 on a lottery ticket. Miller said he and his fiancé kept news of the win quiet for a whole week while on a family vacation. On Monday, he claimed his prize at Iowa Lottery headquarters in Clive. He says it's a good way to start his engagement. Miller said that in addition to the wedding, he and his fiance have a house to fix up. There are certain foods, supplements, and practices that can help reduce the painful symptoms of PMS. Let's get some tips. Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body.
10: Pre-menstrual symptoms PMS come knocking at the door each month. You may experience cramps, headaches, gassiness, mood swings, breast tenderness, and more. In short, PMS can be a real pain, and you may be looking for natural remedies to help. Conventional methods of period pain relief may work for you, but there are alternatives to over-the-counter medications. Here are several steps you can take to work with your body's menstrual cycle. Let's start by looking at foods to embrace. Food choices make a big difference in managing PMS symptoms. Focus on eating a variety of fruits and vegetables, especially dark leafy greens. Also, you want to add ones that are rich in antioxidants like spinach, lettuce, kale, carrots, sweet potatoes, apples, and bananas. Bananas, for example, are a great source of potassium and vitamin B6. Potassium is also necessary to help stop muscle cramping. These foods can help fight fatigue and bloating. Unsalted raw nuts are a great addition. That's because they provide inflammation-fighting omega-3 fatty acids just make sure you soak them before you eat them. Complex carbs like unprocessed oats, legumes, and squash can help to stabilize your mood. They can also help to control food and sugar cravings. Next up, you'll also want to avoid certain foods. Avoid processed and fast foods because they contain additives, salt and or added sugars. These can contribute to PMS symptoms, Fresh food is best. Salt can be especially problematic if you are experiencing bloating, swollen hands, and tender breasts. Also, you'll want to avoid or significantly limit the intake of alcohol and caffeine. Both can have a detrimental effect on sleep, energy levels, bloating, and gas. Next, let's look at exercise. Generally, movement helps to ease cramps, improve blood flow and can help with mood. Even if you don't feel in the mood to exercise, regular aerobic activity can make you feel so much better. This is because it releases endorphins and neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin. This can improve energy, mood and sleep. On PMS days, you'll also want to change up your exercise routines by doing walking, spinning, yoga, tai chi, swimming and racket Next, let's look at some healing teas. Relaxing with a hot cup of healing tea one or more times a day can provide some relief. Here are three teas to consider. Chamomile contains antioxidants. This may ease stomach and pelvic discomfort. It can also help with mood swings and reduce cramping. Dongkui is a traditional Chinese tea. It can ease uterine contractions and reduce menstrual cramps. Ginger is an old standby for many ailments. It can help with nausea or stomach distress. And finally, let's look at essential oils. Applying essential oils to your skin or inhaling their aroma can help to ease PMS symptoms. Be sure to use a carrier oil before you massage them into your skin. You'll want to consider almond, coconut, and jojoba, they're all good choices. Here are four to consider, starting with clary sage. This oil is best known for its ability to reduce stress, cramping, and mood swings. Lavender oil. You can expect similar results to those offered by clary sage essential oil. Next is geranium. This oil reportedly can balance your mood. It also works great when combined with lavender and peppermint. And finally, peppermint oil. If you are experiencing tummy upset and digestion problems, you can try massaging on this oil before and after eating. So these are some natural options next time you want to remedy PMS without conventional medications.
0: Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Chris Beers.